a venue that's never been done before for wrestling. So it's someone that's wrestled all over the world. Like how big a milestone do you think this is for AEW? It's it's a huge milestone because it's basically our first um, New York area show. I know we had uh, uh, Newark last week, but the, 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 the geographic of New York City, this is the first time. And I've never even heard of this venue before. And I love the fact that we're here because we can now make this like our venue. Like we don't have to worry about going to Madison Square Garden or, or the Barclays Center, those types of places because we have our own now. And that's really, really cool. I, like, like I said, that just shows how big New York City is. The fact there's a venue of this size that I really didn't know anything about. So um, combine that with the fact that we're going to probably have about 20,000 tickets sold for tonight, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And we're really kind of making our mark into the New York area at a high, high level, which is exactly what we should be doing. So it's going to be an exciting night tonight for sure. Mm-hmm. So you are facing Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page on Rampage and you came out to answer Dan Lambert's challenge last week on Dynamite. And that was quite a surprise, I think, for a lot of people watching. So how did it come about that you would be that guy? Uh, It's just kind of the story that we wanted to tell. I mean, obviously, Dan is doing a great job uh, uh, as kind of a heel manager. And, you know, the idea is always to push if that's the word or, or to build uh, our own guys uh, and obviously Paige and, and Sky are two guys that, that we have big plans for uh, in the future and for right now so it's a perfect way to kind of get them into the mix and uh, like you said it, it, it for me it's good because it gives me a chance to do something that's a little bit outside of the box yeah. um, something that you wouldn't really expect is and that's what I that's what I, I like about it is the fact that you know, you wouldn't expect Jericho and Dan Lambert to be going at it, but it really worked. I think at the, the very first week, we really showed that there's some chemistry there. Uh, it's a great heel and a great baby face going kind of toe-to-toe on the mic. And then, you know, where is it going to lead and what's going to happen? You know, we have ideas and thoughts for that too. So uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cool, it's a cool storyline, um, especially after the, the, the year that I spent with, with MJF. This is something completely different from that, uh, which I really, um, really intrigued me and, and, and attracted me to doing it. Yeah. And you're teaming with Hager, but we've seen Sammy now. He looks like he's going for Miro and Santana and Ortiz look like they're going for the tag titles. So is this kind of how we're going to see the inner circle going forward, that you're still aligned with each other, but not in each other's business all the time? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my idea was for us to like, respectfully disband, you know, and go our own ways. But Tony didn't want to do that. He said, why would you want to disband? You, you don't have to be together all the time, but you're still the inner circle. And once again, I think after this year where it was the inner circle, the whole storyline was based around MJF wanting to join the inner circle and Wardlow's in the inner circle and then the pinnacle and kind of five on five and that sort of thing. So it was a really well-told year-long story with the five of us. So it's good for us to kind of, you know, go our own ways and not be in each other's business every week. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's good that we're still aligned. You know, like I said, for me, I thought it was a good time to kind of like, okay, well, let's go our own way, but we can still do that without, you know, officially disbanding the band, officially breaking up the band type of a thing. So I love the fact that we have been a faction since day one in AEW and really never had, you know, 
any fights amongst us or anything like that. There's been a few minor things, but we never turned on each other. Yeah. Half the group didn't turn heel and half the group stay baby face and fight with each other. We never did that. And I, I think that's a pretty cool, um, a pretty cool accomplishment, especially in wrestling because factions come and go so quickly and yeah. it seems like they're put together just so they can break up and, 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 and feud for two or three weeks. And we never wanted to do that. And we wanted to make it a long-term thing with just five guys who like each other. And we started as heels and we all turned baby face together and we remain friends and on the same page on the show. And that's the way I like to keep it. So your feud with MJF, when that ended, you said it's the longest storyline you've done of your career and one of the best. So when it began, like how much did it play out how you'd initially um, planned it to be? Well, I think it played out even better than we first expected because did, did we sit down and say, okay, we're going to do this for a year? No. It just seemed to go that way. And when crowds starting, started to come back in, I believe in June, that's when we were like, we got to continue this and do it in front of people. Yeah. Like we've had so much great stuff, but it's been in front of nobody. We owe it to ourselves to kind of extend it so that we can, you know, have the reward of, the, of, the, of those crowds there. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. So, and it wasn't hard to do. I mean, at the end, some people were like, okay, we're done with this feud. And then, you know, it's time to end it. Like it's time to end a good movie when you get to the, you know, to the end of it. But I think overall the story was amazing. And I think we put together a great uh, tale with lots of twists and turns and all sorts of emotions from comedy to, to drama, to sadness, to happiness, to brutality, to, you know, everything in between. So I think when you look back, people will overall say that was one of the best feuds as far as longevity and diversity that we've ever seen. Uh, and when we started it, we knew it would be a longer feud, maybe three to six months. I don't think we expected it to go as long as it did, but the fact that it did, we're both very proud of it. And we think it was very well done and that we think uh, people will, will, will remember, it was very memorable as well. Yeah. With everything being in front of no crowds, um, well, you had the small crowd, but then when you did the stadium stampede match and that bit at the end, when you guys came out into the crowd, like how did that feel? Did it feel like almost like it was a representation of what you guys had been going through throughout the pandemic? Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of what the idea was, you yeah. know, because um, both stadium stampedes happened during the pandemic. And I think that's the reason why the match was created. We wanted to do something in the stadium originally, um, to where I was like, well, what are we going to do in here? Like, what, what the hell are we doing? You know, and we had to kind of create this whole style of match, which was much more comedy-based in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because people were still pretty scared about what was going on um, with the pandemic and the lockdown and all that sort of stuff. So we wanted to kind of bring some levity into, the, into, the, into their lives, so to speak. And then the second was much more uh, of a fight, of a, of a movie fight scene. We actually brought in a stunt coordinator to help us with the, some of the, some of the fight, action sequences and that sort of thing. So once again, though, just as creative uh, as the first, but in a different way. And then this one kind of starting, you know, on tape, so to speak, and then ending it live in the crowd, which nobody saw coming, uh, was, was a great idea. It was a Tony Khan uh, idea. And it worked out so well. It was just a great, great representation of where the company was during the pandemic 
and then where it ended up when people were allowed to come back in because that was a crazy crowd they went nuts and just to have that feeling again was 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 second to none mm-hmm. when you we were matched with at all out with mjf so you put your career on the line and having such a long career what made you decide now is the time to put on the line and how hard did you find it to convince people that you might end it well, I think it was, once again, it was a great part of the story. Like, why would MJF and Jericho have one more match? What's what's in it for MJF, so to speak? Because nobody saw it coming that he was going to beat me in the labors of Jericho. I mean, everyone thought, okay, Chris is going to win. Uh, and not only did I not win, but tapping out the way that I did, I think people were very, very shocked and surprised about it, which is cool. Shows that we, we you know, took them into a different direction, swerved them, so to speak. So then I thought, well, maybe you know, if we're going to do one more match on the pay-per-view, which we really wanted to do and kind of wrap it up there, what could be at stake? And I thought, well, my career is the way to go. And how do you convince people? Well, no one really knows for sure. You know, they're pretty sure that Jericho is not going to be finished wrestling, but what, what if I am, you know? And I think that's why we did that finish with the foot on the rope. And I think people were really shocked, like, oh my gosh, they actually did it. And for that 30 second period, they believed it was done. And that's what wrestling is all about. If you can get people to believe uh, the story that you're telling, then you, you've done a good thing. And that's exactly what we did. And people legitimately, I think, were very surprised at that kind of false finish that we did. Because at that point in time, they thought, uh-oh, there's a chance this could be real. Especially when we started playing MJF's music and made the announcement. And it was like, no, 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 not like this. And then, of course, we, we switched it and continued forward, and I won. But um, I think that was part of the fun. Is like, how far can we take this? Let's take it all the way. Let's, mm-hmm. let's have an announcement. Let's have the music playing. Let's do everything and really make people believe that this is the end. And I think we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. And before that match, you went through the labors, and we saw Juventud and Nick Gage come in. So how long was that the idea to bring in other people? And were they always the people? Or did you try anyone else? Well, the original plan was going to be the four guys from the pinnacle. Yeah. Because um, that's what we had kind of done with Moxley when he beat me for the title, where he kind of had to go through the whole inner circle. And I think it was it was MJF who had an idea of let's use Nick Gage. And I, and I had never heard of Nick Gage prior to Dark Side of the Ring. And that kind of intrigued me to think, okay, well, maybe, maybe he brings in some bounty hunters. But I still wanted it to start and end with the pinnacle, because that was the story. Start with Spears, end with Wardlow. That was always the plan. Uh, it was never the plan of like go through this, you know, memory lane of Jericho's friends or opponents or whatever. So we thought the Nick Gage death match would be cool. And then we were trying to think of another guy. And one of the ideas was Chris Hero. Um, there was a couple other names thrown around. And then we thought, I thought, well, Hooventude Graham might be a good idea because he just seemed to fit. It seemed to fit best. It seemed like a good idea to have one guy from my past in there. And I didn't want to make it a bunch of guys from my past. It was like, oh, it's got to be Lance Storm, or it's got to be this. Just, and I didn't want that. I just wanted a pinnacle to start and end it. The death match I thought was a cool idea. And then have somebody from, from my past, which we decided to was the best choice for that. Um, and we had worked on that for a few months to get his visa and all that sort of thing. So that was always the plan to do those four guys. And then there was an idea maybe to face Hager or maybe have Sammy come in. But that, I didn't like that idea either because why would those guys fight me? Yeah. Well, they have to or else. It's like, well, we would just quit. 
you know, we're, like I said earlier, we don't turn on each other. And if that was the idea, you know, fine, go fuck yourself, we're out. So that didn't work for me either. So uh, Hooventude was the way to go and Wardlow was the way to go to finish it. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. When it came to the match with Nick, were you given any direction from Tony about how much violence or blood was okay for TV? No, I mean, I told him what was going to happen and I don't think we expected the amount of blood that we had. You know, it just sometimes that happens. And, and then I didn't go in there with the idea. Like if you notice, Nick Gage never had any blood like it was not a double blood situation i had blood he did not but you know there might have been some cuts from the glass and stuff but as far as actually bleeding nick did not uh i didn't want it to be a bloodbath it turned into one because of the glass and all that sort of stuff but um yeah there really really wasn't a lot i mean i talked to him about the about the mist when i blew mist and engage's face mm-hmm. uh, we discussed that but other than that it was just kind of like we have an idea to use some light tubes uh, and we, we actually um, adjusted those light tubes so that there was no <clears throat> fluorescent powder in there, that dangerous, that was not in there, just yeah. so you guys know. So we kind of lessened the blow for a few of those things. But, you know, when you're taking bumps into pieces of glass, there's really no way to make that more safe. You either do it or you don't. So, um, something that we've never seen on dynamite before and we'll probably never see it again. But in my opinion, it was a classic uh, death match, a classic match of that style and uh, very, 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 very big success as far as the number that we did, as far as the reaction that we got and as far as the story that we told uh, with the fine labors of Jericho and that specific chapter. Mm-hmm. Well, in your latest book, you do star rate your matches. Do you have a rating for the Nick Gage one? I, I haven't because I don't keep the list now because it, people do that for me. You can just find it online. Yeah. But I would give that, I mean, for that style of match, it's as good as it gets. You know, I, I'd give that a five-star rating for me mm-hmm. as far as a classic in my career. Because like I said, it, it, you don't get a better death match than that with the psychology that we had and the way we built it. And, it wasn't 15 light tubes getting broken. There was just two getting broken at the right time. <clears throat> Three, actually, if you include the finish. So um, I just think we told a great story, and I was really, really proud of that match. With um, what you were saying there about that match and the violence of it and being on Dynamite, with Dynamite only being like nearly two years old at this point, are you surprised with the risks that Dynamite's taken so early and how much TNT seems to be behind you guys doing all this? Um, no, I mean, I think TNT is rolling with it because the, 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 um, ratings have been so great and the demos have been so high. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's certain things that we've been reprimanded for. There's, there's a few that I could tell you, but I think we're not stupid. If something goes on that the company that the parent company doesn't like, then we don't do it anymore. And I think that's one of the reasons why AEW is as, as successful as we are because we're not afraid to take a few chances and we're not worried about taking some chances and not worried about getting, you know, slapped on the wrist. If we do something that we shouldn't do, we just don't do it again. Um, but it hasn't been that many times. Like I said, for me, there's, there's two times that I can recall that they said, don't ever do that again. And I was like, okay, I had no idea. One of them actually was, was when we beat up Dustin Rhodes when I was feuding with Cody way back at the beginning and we beat him up in the parking lot. And, that, and then as we left, I lit up a cigar. Uh-huh. 
and they did not like that. No smoking allowed on the show. Like they were super, super angry about it. Mm-hmm. No smoking allowed. And I was like, really? Like of all the things, that's what they're mad at. But they were very adamant that they did not want any smoking on the show. And if you do this again, I don't know if this was actually ever used, but the way it was told to me is like, we'll pull the show if you guys do this again. So it's like, all right, I don't need to be smoking. I just did it because I thought it was an asshole thing to do. And apparently so did they. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like when you came out for the final labor with everyone singing Judas? And how did you think that would go? And did it live up to it? Oh, by far. It was one of the coolest moments of my career in that, um, we didn't really know how it was going to go. There was no real guarantees. And we really left it up to the fans. Like <clears throat> I got so many suggestions during the week of people saying, you need to put lyric sheets under the chairs. And yeah. we even actually had come up with kind of a karaoke thing on the, on the Tron where, you know, the words were on there and they would light up as you're supposed to sing them. And it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Tony about it and he agreed. It's like, when you go to a concert, you know when to sing. So let's make this organic. If they know it, they'll sing it. If they don't, they won't. And either way, it works because if they don't, then MGF's evil plan worked. Yeah. Don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll end up singing it. And they did. They got the sync right away because we were worried about that. Are they going to know when to start? And then they just basically went off the cue of, of me coming out, you know? And uh, it was really cool because everybody was in on it. Everybody did it. And it just was like this chorus this choir of people singing the words to the song with no music behind it it just they did it last week when 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 dan lambert cut off judas yeah they just kept singing it on their own and it's like that's pretty cool man to know that people uh know the song that well to where they're able to sing it with no teleprompter no cue no nothing just singing and that was a, a very special moment for us so in the past month, we've had CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole all at once. How, for you in the roster, like how have things changed with them being in here? Um, not really much has changed. It's just more like now there's so much focus on AEW. And yeah. uh, it, 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 I think we've now made it safe for people to come to our company. It's not taking a chance anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, those guys realize it. They're coming here now on a mission because they know that AEW can and will make some waves and make a difference in the wrestling world, which we've already done. But now it's even compounded more than ever by having those guys with us. And it's huge. It's huge for us. It's huge for me. It's huge for the fans, for the company. Uh, And it's great because it just opens up so many doors of matches that we have. You know, we had a lot of matches on tap before, but now there's probably – 25 or 30 matches for almost everybody on the roster that we can have. And probably 20 of those people could be main event matches. So 20 times 25, you know, that's, that's a solid 400 main event matches that we probably have in the bank now with these new guys coming in. Uh, And it's great. It's exciting to have Ruby Soho for the women's division, um, you know, to have those guys involved, uh, to have the association with Owen Hart, I mean, all of these things have just happened over the last couple of weeks. And I think people are like, holy shit, what is this AEW? People that don't know are now coming to check us out because we have the cool factor. And when you have the cool factor, that changes everything. Because that's where you get kind of the, 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 the fans that, that have left 
or the curious fans yeah. or the, the kind of the, the fringe fans. And that's how you build a company. That's how you build a band. That's how you build a movie is by getting the grassroots involvement where people go, this is cool. You have to check this out. Okay. That's how I got into Greta Van Fleet. You got to check out this band or Blackberry, uh, Blackberry Smoke. You got to check out this band. Okay. Wow. They're really cool. Everybody tells you about them. And that's kind of what's going on with AEW right now. With you being the first person to establish AEW and now you've built all these young stars and how do you see your role different now as we kind of move into this phase of AEW? Um, yeah, I mean, it hasn't really changed. I mean, my, my job has always been the same as to build the company. And um, at first it was basically on my back. I think the first three months until we got that huge extension from TNT for the $175 million, I think that was mostly on my back building the companies as, as, as quickly um, and as, as, as big as, as I could. Uh, and then now we have, you know, 10 people carting the weight or 20 people carting the weight. We build, built so many stars, Darby Allen and uh, Jungle Boy and MJF and, and Hangman Page. I mean, these guys have become legit draws. Britt Baker, you know, um, and that's great to see. So when you're building young stars as quickly as we have and really building them, the company has grown as a result. And then shore that up with some other veterans. Um, you know, so for me, it's just to continue being Chris Jericho. You know, uh, the whole weight isn't on me anymore, but there's still a lot of importance of things that I do in the company that I have to continue doing to keep things rolling in the right direction. And how have you found doing Rampage commentary and how much direction is kind of given in commentary by Tony? That's fun. I mean, I love doing commentary. I started doing it on Dynamite um, during weeks when I had nothing to do. Uh, I did commentary during the month of April last year when we had to film like 25 matches in a day in April in a studio because everything was shut down. Um, I just did commentary just out of necessity and it turned out to be, I did pretty good at it. And I thought, well, this is kind of fun. And Tony felt the same. So he was happy to use me in commentary as much as he could. And then when Rampage came up, he had the idea of having me be a full-time commentator on the show. Uh, I, I love I love it. It's fun. It's fun to do. And um, I think it's something that I could do for as long as I want for the foreseeable future. Even if I decide to stop wrestling or when I decide to stop wrestling, I could probably continue commentating Um so it, it has been fun. Nothing. There's no direction. I mean, he might have a, a few things that he wants you to get across and chime in once in a while, but 99% of the time you just do whatever you feel is right. Mm -hmm. And finally, we last year when we spoke, it was during season two of Dark Side of the Ring, and you mentioned about Owen Hart and wanting AW to do something with Owen Hart and how his spirit lives on there. So now you guys have announced the Owen Hart Cup and your collaboration. Can you just talk about like what that means to you and maybe how that came about? I mean, it's a, it was a passion project for me, obviously, and for obviously for Martha and Tony. Uh, we worked on it for a long time, about a year and a half, to put the deal together, figure out what we wanted to do. But I just knew I wanted Owen's legacy to be something positive and something great as far as wrestling goes, yeah. uh, rather than just be dwelling on his on his death. And I think that's the main reason why we all wanted this to happen is that we can celebrate Owen Hart's career contributions that he made. He was a pioneer. 
he's, you know, what's his connection to AEW? Some people are saying, well, one of the connections is that he's specifically the reason why I got into wrestling. Owen Hart was the guy to an extent, Shawn Michaels and, 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 uh, uh, and Ricky Steamboat, but Owen Hart was the one to me that like, I, I want to be like that guy. And so <clears throat> there's your connection to AEW. Uh, the, the original AEW face of the company is an Owen Hart fanatic, mm-hmm. is an Owen Hart, you know, disciple. And that's the reason why we wanted to do this. And we'll do the Owen Hart Cup, do the tournament, and just make people feel good about Owen rather than feel sad. Uh, we know what happened to him, but that was, you know, over 20 years ago. Let's move forward remembering his amazing contributions and legacy in the ring uh, that still uh, resonate to this day, you know, and I'm really, really excited about it and very happy about it. I'm really happy that the deal got done. And like I said, we put a lot of time and a lot of work to making it happen, but it did. And now uh, we can move forward and, and have, have some, some great times with Owen involved, which I'm sure he would love as well.